All right, hallelujah. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Yeah. We got, we, got, we got some newcomers in the house. All right, hallelujah. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, today I'm going to be preaching from the famous story of Balaam, or Balaam, as hey, one second, I guess I, I don't really know what, what's the proper, but I'm going to say Balaam. Uh, when we reach here in Numbers chapter 22, the context is uh, the people have been delivered out of Egypt, and they were actually in the wilderness for many, many years. Miriam and Aaron have already passed away, and Moses is well advanced in his years. They just gained a couple of big victories, and all those hundreds and thousands of Israelites, they are camped out on the plains of Moab. Now, the king of Moab, his name is Balak, or Balak, Balak. I always say Balak for now. And all his people, they were overcome with fear. Because of the Israelites, they saw hundreds and thousands of Israelites and they were afraid that they would eat up all of the natural resources and then inevitably attack the Moabites. So Balak came to the conclusion that he would not be able to overcome Israel with military force. So he began to resort toward occultic means. All right. Uh, so Balak sends messengers on a long journey to an occultic sorcerer named Balaam. Somebody say Balaam. Balaam. And Balak offered lots of money to Balaam to come and curse Israel. Now, <clears throat> surprisingly, Balaam knew how to consult Yahweh. He knew how to consult the God of Israel. Okay, we... It is a mystery why he was able to do that, but it seems like he was probably a typical sorcerer uh, into divination, and perhaps he, he was calling on different gods, and he happened to get the right god. I don't know. Okay, but all we know is that in Scripture, he ended up consulting the God of Israel, and God responds. Okay? And uh, on the surface, it is clear that Balaam's will is to obey the words given to him from God, and so God tells him, all right, Numbers 22, verse 12. Look a little bit earlier in our passage. Numbers chapter 22, verse 12. This is what God tells Balaam. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam comes back and refuses to accompany Balak's crew. Uh, Balak, Balak's crew. And uh, Balak hears the report. And then he sends a second group of people, a bigger delegation, with more money and with princes that are more distinguished than the first group. Okay? Look at verse 16 and 17. <coughs> the second group came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come. Curse this people for me. Now, this is what Satan often does once we have made a decision to obey God's word, isn't it? Right? Uh, he seduces us with wealth and fame. How many of you in here, you think that you will never be vulnerable if, if Satan seduced you with wealth and fame? Raise your hand if you think you will never be vulnerable. Okay, well, how about, how about this? You think you would be vulnerable if Satan gave you wealth and fame to go against the decision you know it's from the Lord. Well, raise your hand if you think you would be vulnerable. Okay, all right, so okay. <clears throat> I personally don't, don't think I, I will be vulnerable, but uh, that's by the grace of God. I, I, I can't say that. I, I, yeah, I can't say that. Well, yeah, yeah, but hallelujah. By the grace of God, I, not, I never will. Now, deep in Balaam's heart, he wanted to go with the messengers. Why? Because... He was greedy for the things of the world. He wanted that fame and the recognition and that honor. Because 2 Peter 2.15, because all over the Bible it talks about Balaam for whatever reason. It's a very short story in the Bible, but the whole Bible likes to talk about it. Everybody likes the story of Balaam. Why? Because you got a talking donkey. We'll get to that later. 
Second Peter 2.15 says, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. So in other words, Balaam, it didn't matter how he got the money. He just wanted it. All right. Anytime you gain something good for your for yourself at the expense of going against the word of the Lord, that is a wage of unrighteousness. Okay. Anytime you gain something good for yourself at the expense of going against the word of the Lord, that is a wage of unrighteousness. You don't have to do anything particularly bad or immoral, but if you make a decision for your good at the expense of going against a word that God has revealed, that is a wage of unrighteousness. Now, if you are ever in a business situation and some shady stuff is going on and God convicts you clearly not to get involved with it, do not sell your soul so you can make some easy money, right? If there's some business transaction and all of the facts are not clear to you and God just kind of prompts you and he just speaks to you either through his word or through a prophet or through somebody else and says, do not get involved with that business transaction and you get that word and then later on Satan entices you by saying, well, look, it's double the profit from last week, okay? Do not sell your soul to get that monetary gain. Jesus said, what is good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Let me tell you something today. Your soul is worth more than $5,000. Hallelujah. It's worth more than $10,000. It's worth more than $20,000. Oh, that's a lot of money, Pastor Christian. Well, your, your soul is worth more than that. Your soul is worth more than an evening of sexual pleasure. Amen. All the men, amen? Amen. (laughs) Your soul is worth more than the adoration of men. Amen? There's a lot of people that they're people pleasers. And they give in, they go against the word of the Lord in order to please people. King Saul did that. Okay? Brothers and sisters, do not love the world or the things of this world. The scripture says... The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Coming back to Balaam, (coughs) surprisingly, when the second delegation is sent, in verse 20, God gives Balaam permission to go with Balak's men. But it seems to have been a test. Because we read a little bit later in verse 22, it's clear that God is angry at Balaam for going. Okay, let me tell you something right now. Did you know that sometimes when God says go, he really means no? Anybody with me on that? He's not trying to trick you. Sometimes God will give you the green light for something. But really, he wants you to stay still. He actually opens it up like that just to see how you will respond. Whether you will stay true to your convictions, whether you're true to stay true to the revelation that he originally gave you. You know, uh, it's like this. <coughs> if it's my turn to do the dishes and my wife asks, honey, you want me to do the dishes? Okay. All the men, listen up. Okay. She is not offering to do the dishes. She's testing you. If Monday is date night and I ask Aaron if I can go play football with the Butters and she says, go ahead. (laughs) That go does not mean go. It means no. All right, she's putting it out there to test me. Now, if I just end up thanking her and I just go ahead and leave, okay, I'm going to come home to one angry wife. Right? That's what Balaam found out, right? In the same way, God had made it clear to Balaam, he was not to go with Balak's crew. And he told them, you are not to curse these people. If the objectives of this mission have not changed with the second delegation, right? Because it makes it clear, come and curse these people. Nothing has changed. Then obviously the, the direction and revelation that God originally gave has not changed. 
So when Balaam, out of his desire for wealth, presses God with the same question, God just says, go, in order to test Balaam. And what did Balaam do with this? He didn't pick up on this test because his heart was more concerned about riches than the heart of God. Because early the next morning, the very next morning, he saddled that donkey and he hurried on his way. But it's clear in verse 22 that while he was on his way, God was angry with Balaam's response. Brothers and sisters, we must always remember that God is not a crystal ball. Okay, we have a relationship with God. Okay, so that means that we're not just going to God to just find out his will, yes or no, stay or go. Okay, we need to relate to him. And sometimes in relationships, okay, in a relationship, God may say something in order to see what your true response will be. Just like my wife may sometimes do for me. Hallelujah. Right? And if anything, if, you know, if I responded the right way, that will cause our love to grow more and we'll be more intimate, right? It's not for her to just trick me, right? <clears throat> we must remember that we are in a relationship with God. Okay? Now, let's read uh, verse 22 and through verse 28. And let's get to the interesting stuff in this passage here. Look at verse 22. God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, Balaam was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said, it's a she, by the way. (coughs) She said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Okay. Let's stop here. Hold up. Did you notice something just now? Okay. For the people who laugh, obviously they notice something, right? We have a talking donkey. She can talk. It's a she too. She can talk. Now, non-believers may read this passage and say, you see that? You know, the Bible is just full of folklore. You know, a talking donkey, what, 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 whatever. The Bible is just, you can't believe the Bible. How can a donkey talk? And you know what? They got a point. When's the last time you saw a donkey talk? Okay? And we're not talking about Shrek. <coughs> Alright, this ain't the movie up with like, you know, a little voice box that you can create and have the doggies talk and stuff like that. Look, there ain't no such thing like that, alright? We're talking about real life. This is a real life account. Now talk about signs and wonders. This isn't just hard for non-believers to believe. This is hard for Christians to believe this story, right? A talking donkey. Who would have thought? But that's what the scripture says here. It wasn't a vision. The Bible says that God opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey said, right? But what are you hitting me for? Sometimes, you know, if you ever had a pet, like a dog or something, you know, you do something wrong to that dog, that dog will look at you like, man, that ain't right. You know, maybe the dog is not created in God's image, but you can tell what the dog's about to say. (coughs) And the animal's... You know, have emotions. You know, they have emotions. And Balaam, check this out, read verse 29. Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I will kill you. Now hold on for a second. If a donkey started talking to you, okay, what would be the first thing that come out of your mouth? 
Okay, I'll tell you what wouldn't. Okay? Because you have made a fool of me. Okay, I want to kill you. Like, like, this is a strange scene, right? The donkey talks to them. Balin just talks right back to the donkey. And remember, there's two servants and all these princes who are of honor. They're watching this whole thing. This is a very weird scene, right? <coughs> Despite the fact that there's this audience watching, Balaam and the donkey, they just continue chatting away. Now let's keep reading, right? Verse 30. Then the donkey says back to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? On which you have ridden all your life long to this day? In other words, it's like, come on, reminisce. You and me, we ride together, we die together. Come on, Balaam. Did I, have I ever done this to you? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And then Balaam's like stunned. He's like, well, you got a good point. No. And they're having this conversation. No wonder the Bible writers, they love this story. All right? This is very, very peculiar. <coughs> now, my message for you today is very simple. Okay? It's listen to the donkey. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Listen to the donkey. <coughs> what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Now, in your spiritual walk, you may have experienced God speaking to you in various ways. Right? God speaks to you through his word. God speaks to you in your prayer closet. God speaks to you through your pastor, a prophet. God speaks to you through wonderful speakers like Dr. Cindy Trim, Mark Driscoll, Bill Johnson, right? you name it, right? But did you know that God can also speak to you through a donkey? Amen? Amen. Go figure, right? <coughs> you need to listen to the donkey because God's been known to speak through donkeys. Now, donkeys come in many different forms. Okay, figuratively, donkeys are simply people or things that we tend not to listen or pay attention to. Okay, number one, subordinates. Okay, this is just a fancy word for people that are kind of like under you that you're in charge of. Subordinates, right? Subordinates, this could be your small group members. This could be your children. This could be your staff team, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's face it, depending on how young or inexperienced they are, we tend not to listen to what they have to say. Now, most of the time, they're probably spitting out gibberish. Uh, you know? That's just, just a race of facts. A lot of times they're not saying anything that, that, that's of anything. But despite that, we got to humble ourselves and listen to our subordinates because God might say something very important through them. Okay. I know it's easier just to disregard everything they have to say. And it takes a lot more work to filter through all the gibberish to find the good stuff. But even when there are more bones than meat, we got to know how to go after the meat. Okay? We can't be afraid of the meat just because it's on a big bone. Right? We got to eat the meat, throw out the bones, right? Now, some people are so lazy, they don't want to pull the meat off the bones. They just want boneless everything. Boneless chicken, boneless everything. But the revelation of God doesn't always come so conveniently packaged as a five-piece McNugget set. Sometimes you gotta go get that chicken, run around, you know, and hopefully you guys don't actually have to do that, you know, go, go chop off a chicken's head and actually pluck that chicken and then cook the chicken and all that stuff. Well, that takes a lot of work, but you still get the meat, right? There's people who do that and they get, to get the meat. Sometimes that's required to get at certain things. You gotta learn. To pull the meat off the bones. If you're in a leadership position, you may hear a lot of criticism from your subordinates and from your enemies. And our natural reaction to criticism is to get defensive. 
get all upset. Get all, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe she said that. Oh, I can't believe they said that. Right? And just, just get all upset. High blood pressure. But look, a good leader <coughs> is able to shrug off the criticisms that are completely untrue and then turn the remaining criticisms into blessings, no matter how unpleasantly packaged and delivered they are. Look, check this out. If you don't know how to handle criticism, you won't last long as a leader. And if you don't know how to turn criticisms into blessings, you won't enjoy being a leader. You know, in Korean culture, I noticed that older folks generally don't seek the advice from younger friends and dongsengs and hubes. You know, what, what you say, hube? You shut up. I, whatever. You know, they don't really listen to what the younger folks have to say. And in fact, it's taboo for a younger person to give any kind of advice or to question the decision of anyone who's considerably older. Right? You just don't do it. <coughs> now, this is sad. Because this is, this, is, this is human culture. This is not the kingdom culture. Because in the kingdom of God, God has been known to speak through the mouths of those who are younger. Important, key, breakthrough, revelation and information can come through the mouth of those who are younger. The Bible actually says in Psalm 8-2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Or in the NIV it says, you have ordained praises. You have ordained praise. Now this prophecy was directly fulfilled in Matthew 21, 16, when Jesus was hanging out at the temple and the children kept crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And his kids are like, oh, that sounds, that sounds great. I want to say that too. Hosanna to the son of David. And all these children are running around saying, Hosanna to the son of David. <laughs> the chief priests and the scribes recognized that this was a messianic cry. And they were indignant. Indignant, indignant, sorry, indignant. This is not a word that I use often. That's the only word I could describe it. it they became in, indignant. <laughs> and they said, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus, do something. All right. And Jesus said, yes. Well, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Jesus was pointing at these little children and saying, look, you need to listen to what they have to say. Because that's not just them little children getting all rowdy and on sugar high. Okay? That's God. God speaking through them children. Now, we need to listen to the donkey. We need to listen to the donkey. Because God speaks through children. And in our eyes, children may look like donkeys. Foolish little, little... Angels, (laughs) Angels, <laughs> you know, little kids running around. Ah! You know, kids. You know how kids are. You might, you might think, man, <coughs> man, God will never say anything through the kid like the little devil child. You, you, you might think something like that. But look, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Listen to the donkey, because God may speak to the children. In fact, the Bible tells us that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. You know, over at IHOP, I heard, they have seven-year-olds trained up in the gift of prophecy. So if you go to their ministry rooms, don't be surprised if a little seven-year-old says, Can you kneel down here? I got a word for you. And they just start to minister. These full-grown adults in their 50s, 60s, they come visit IHOP. And these little seven-year-olds laying hands and just praying for them. And these old people crying because... Is the words of prophecy, words of God that are touching their hearts. It's sad, but <clears throat> because of the culture here in Korea, you know, I've yet to hear of a dynamic, spirit-filled children's or youth ministry here. You know, it's just very rare to hear about news like that. It's just a lot of just a lot of great babysitting, you know, setups, but like real ministry. Because in America, it's like that too. But in America, there's rising up these dynamic children's ministries 
where you got seven 12-year-olds that know how to lay hands, know how to, how to prophesy, know how to pray for people, know how to release the fire of God. My, my friend, she's an intern over at IHOP, and she sent me a video once. This is way back, like seven years ago. And in the video, <coughs> there was a camera just panning the children's uh, worship service. Right? And just panning the worship service. Okay? And you got like these five children, about seven, ten years old. And they're in the front, and they're just shouting and just praising God like this and praying at the top of their lungs. And you got all these children, it's about like 100, 200 children in this room, and they're all praying at the top of their lungs. And they just panned this picture. The children were on fire. You know, check this out. If we ever start a new Philly children's ministry, that's what I want it to look like. I'll tell you right now, we'll have baby prophets. Like literally, right? <clears throat> if they can talk, they can prophesy. I don't care. If they can walk, they can lay hands, right? <laughs> Come here, son. Come here, son. Put down the, put down the bottle. Come over here. Help daddy lay hands. <clears throat> All right, listen to the donkey, right? Your subordinates. Right, people that you, you're responsible for, because you never know when God will speak through them. Number two, Christians that you disagree with or you don't respect. Okay, there's a second kind of donkeys. Right? Uh, we all tend to make donkeys out of people that we disagree with, don't we? Right? If we disagree with someone or we don't respect what they're doing, we make a donkey out of them. Okay, let me tell you probably the best example out there right now. Joel Osteen. Okay. Now, me just saying that at the pulpit makes a lot of y'all uncomfortable. Okay. Most of y'all probably don't like him. He's the pastor of the largest church in America right now, if you don't know. And they have tremendous fruit, whether you like it or not. And they're reaching millions of people through their television broadcasts. And, but I guess, you know, the higher up you go, the bigger target you become. Because, man, people will be throwing all kinds of criticism. There's so many Joel Olstein haters out there. Just do a YouTube search. <coughs> Probably like 90% of the videos of Joel Olstein are posted by his haters. Now, people have a passionate hate for him. In fact, when people find out that Pastor Christian likes his books and his podcasts, a lot of people, they begin hating my ministry too. They don't know nothing about New Philadelphia. And they're here that I like Joel Olstein. And, you know, even, even at my, uh, when I was getting interviewed for my, uh, Torch Seminary, when I was getting into the expat program, I remember there was, there was three professors. And then they were like, who are some of your favorite authors? And I said, well, you know, you know, influential theological author has been R.C. Sproul. Oh, very good, young man. Uh, I love John Piper and his passion. Oh, excellent. Uh, there's a guy named Joel Stockstill. Uh, we don't know him. And uh, yeah, I, I've really been through, blessed through uh, the ministry of Joel Osteen. They're like, <gasps> <laughs> young man, do you know you're a walking oxymoron? Who likes John Piper and Joel Osteen? I never thought that those two names would come up in the same sentence. They said something like that. Right? And, and that, that was more of a, I'm a, I'm a humorous note. But man, people have really come at me pretty strong when they find out that I like Joel Osteen. Oftentimes, people will say that his preaching is not the gospel. It's just positive thinking. They will say things like, uh, he doesn't preach out of scripture. Uh, he preaches prosperity. And uh, people take the cover of his books and clips of his videos, and they literally, they make a donkey out of him on the internet. And at one point, I bought into all this hype before I knew anything about his ministry. And I saw Joel Osteen as a donkey. Because believe me, man, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in, in, in a poor urban neighborhood. And I, I looked at the cover of his book and I said, I'm not interested. <laughs> right? It's not the type of cover that, of a book that I want to even be carrying around. Actually, when I, was, when I did get into it and I was re- re- carrying the book around, I would always have something like, uh, like something else to cover the book cover. <laughs> I was kind of embarrassed. You know, was, anyway. 
one day, I paid attention to this donkey. Guess what? God spoke powerfully through him. In fact, his message on how to handle criticism is still one of my favorite sermons that I listen to over and over again. In fact, over the years, Aaron and I have received a tremendous amount of God's grace and encouragement through his messages and his books. And after a while, we just realized, man, a lot of the, what the haters were saying is just really not justified. Like, if you really understand his background and where he came from, he didn't go to a seminary. You know, God really set him up to get into that pastor position after his father suddenly died. But man, that church has a tradition of the anointing. It's a powerful anointing on that church. It's a healing anointing on that church. It's a reason why right, God has really been blessing that church. You know, a lot of people don't, they don't pay attention. They don't, know, they don't, they don't want to listen to that donkey. They don't even want to look into it. You know, <coughs> some people may not want to listen to Andy Stanley because he's a cessationist. The old dude, Andy Stanley, not the young guy. Or some people, some people may not want to listen to Chuck Swindoll. Because he's a cessationist or a dispensationalist. You may disagree with them. But brothers and sisters, I know plenty of people, plenty of Christians who have been tremendously blessed through these men's ministries. Whether they're dispensational or whether they're cessational. I'm not saying that these issues aren't important. But I'm saying God speaks through these men. On the flip side, if you're more on the traditional side... You may have no respect for John or not because of the Toronto blessing. Or you may really despise Ronnie Howard Brown because of the holy laughter phenomenon that carries around in all of his revival meetings. Because you didn't see that growing up in your church, you might find all that offensive. But check that out. Don't dismiss them so quickly. Because God may speak to you through these anointed men of God. If you will only listen to the donkey. Or what in your eyes is a donkey. You know, yesterday at our leadership training, we were studying the church of, uh, of Antioch <coughs> in the book of Acts. And what I love about the church in Antioch is they were the first to embrace Saul, who later became known as the Apostle Paul. Because when Paul, he went over to the church in Jerusalem, okay, they wouldn't even let him eat with them because of his history as a persecutor of Christians. Because he had uh, gone around killing and persecuting Christians because of his past, many had no respect for him. And they wouldn't even give him the time of day. But when he arrived at Antioch, okay, the Antioch church probably heard about his past. But check this out. They were humble enough to just simply accept him and his testimony and then they listened to what he had to say. In fact, he spent the first year teaching the church in Antioch. And the church grew tremendously. Okay? The church in Antioch, they listened to what this supposed donkey had to say. Eventually, out of his experience at Antioch, Paul went on to become the greatest apostle recorded in Scripture. I don't think that's unfair to say that. Paul, Paul was the man. You know? And I know another Paul today who faces a similar circumstances. Because he has no college or seminary degree, because he used to shoot dope, gangbang, and came out of prison, some churches see this guy as a donkey. <clears throat> but I tell you, when you give him a mic, this brother can preach. When you let him pray for you, he'll prophesy over you. He'll rock your world. And in my friendship with him, God has spoken to me several times, many times, through my good friend, Pastor Paul. Probably the first Asian in Bloods and Crips history to join the true Bloods and Crips gang in L.A. He was probably the first Asian to join the Bloods and Crips ever. I think he holds that 
he holds that Guinness Book of World Record. I don't, I don't. <clears throat> but you know, unfortunately, there are many people who won't even give him the time of day because he doesn't have a seminary degree. They won't listen to what he has to say. In fact, I guess I should just mention myself right here. <clears throat> okay. Some churches will probably never consider me to come and speak at their church or their retreat because I don't have a seminary degree. And if you are a visitor today, I don't have a seminary degree. <coughs> Get it out there. They may invite plenty of people who have no anointing to preach because they have an MDiv or a PhD, but they'll probably never invite me. In their eyes, I'm just a donkey. But let me tell you something. I may not have a seminary degree, but God be speaking through this donkey. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, and, when you, and when you listen to preachers, <coughs> this is advice everybody can take. When you listen to preachers, no matter how inexperienced they are, no matter how young, or let's say even how dry or religious they are, okay, stay humble and alert. Because God may speak through them the very word that you've been searching for. You know, uh, this is advice that I need to take myself. You know, oftentimes I'll take out my notebook and pen when like Bill Johnson or, you know, big, big name preacher is preaching. You know, when Andres Pisoni was here, I took out my notebook and pen for every message. But, you know, when my intern pastors get up there and, and they preach, you know, I may take out my notebook. But I may not be really taking notes. I'm just writing down what I need to do for the week. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying y'all preaching is not blessing me, but you know, that's, that's just my pride. It's my pride. It's, I'm not being humble. And, I, and when it comes down to it, it's very prideful. Why? Because <coughs> I'm assuming that such preachers have nothing fresh to offer me. In fact, it's very prideful because in effect, I'm also telling God, that he is unable to speak through such people. I'm telling God who he can speak through or not. That's a very profitable thing to say to God, isn't it? Who are we to tell God who he can or can't speak through? We need to stay humble, brothers and sisters. You know, last year when I went to Louisville, Kentucky for the Benny Hinn conference. Oh, and Benny Hinn, okay, let's open up another can of worms. Okay, we're not dealing with Benny Hinn today, but look. I went to a Benny Hinn conference last year, and I went, took out my notepad and pen. I was taking notes, because they wouldn't let us take any audio recording devices in. And actually, the bouncer, man, I tried to take my digital camera in. This big old bouncer, he was definitely not a Christian. A homeboy, like, threatened me to put his hands on me and said, you need to put this back in your car, sir. Anyway, um, it's another story. <laughs> All week, man, we were taking notes and we were so excited about the Benny Hinn conference and God really spoke through Benny Hinn. But did you know that during our time in Louisville, for me at least, I don't know about you, honey, but for me at least, the person that God spoke through the most during my trip there was an African-American preacher named Thomas Durden. This is a pastor that we met on the way out on the last night. And he just, he just looked at me and he just greeted us. He was like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Praise the Lord. And we're just like, oh, praise the Lord. And then, and then hey, he was like, where are you guys from? And then we're just doing small talk. And we were like, well, we're looking for a church to go to on Sunday tomorrow. And he's like, well, you know, you know, I got, I got like a little, you know, I got a little congregation. You know, if you guys want to join me for worship, there's other great churches. But if you guys want to join us for worship, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit, like go to his church. So I was like, uh, we'll, we'll go to your church. And so we took down his name number and we went to his church. And it was like this small little dinky storefront. Okay, it probably couldn't hold more than 30 people. And they had about maybe 20 people. And like six of them were his family members, like his cousins and his aunt and uncle and his sons. <coughs> and uh, the moment we went in, uh, this, this, you know, you know this uh, African-American woman, she just gave this big old hug and said, Welcome. And I said, oh, I'm home, hallelujah. <laughs> right? And Aaron and I were, were so blessed even through that. And then we sat down and we're worshiping, man. And it was, the praise and worship was thicker 
than at the Benny Hinn conference. Because we were complaining all week how Benny Hinn conference, there was, there was, the anointing for worship wasn't that thick there. But man, at this church, it was so thick. And then when Pastor Thomas Durden got up there and he started preaching, all the anointing started flowing. Right? And, and we ended up getting so blessed through him. It was, it was a surprise. It was a surprise way in which God spoke to us during that trip. You know, some people insist on seeking only the advice of the lead pastor. Instead of going to one of our intern pastors, instead of going to one of our prayer team leaders, they insist, I got to talk to Pastor Christian. Or they seek only the guest speaker or the superstar minister for advice, prophecy, or prayer. And in their little minds, they have kind of said to themselves, God can only speak to me through them. But you know what? The, the sad thing is, if they would just listen to the donkey, God will speak to them the same thing that, they would, that, that God will say through a superstar minister. God will speak through it through an intern pastor. God will speak through it through one of our leaders at this church. Reserve, active, apostolic. Any of our leaders can probably speak. In fact, perhaps even a stranger that's sitting next to you today in service. They may speak a word for you. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you awesome experience I had. About like four years ago, I went to California. Uh, I was still with KCC at that time. And, and on Sunday, we went to Vineyard Anaheim Church. You know, they have a history of, you know, revival and, and, uh, it was, it was a wonderful blessing. I've been there before. And, uh, and I was with, uh, uh, some of my homies, like some of my brothers that, uh, you know, I kind of been informally discipling. And, uh, you know, we we're all there and we're all on staff now and I was, you know, we're all hungry for the Lord. And so we were hoping to like get like one of the leaders or the pastors to pray for us or to prophesy over us or to lay hands on us or something, you know. We're, you know, hoping for something like that. <coughs> but it didn't happen. Instead, at the end of the service, the pastor said, uh, why don't y'all get into groups of three or four and then just pray for each other. Pray for each other. And then we'll, we'll, when you guys are done, you can, guys can leave the uh, sanctuary and we'll be done with the service. And I said, oh, man, I wanted like an altar call. I wanted to get up there in the front and, and get, get somebody, you know, get like one of the pastors to pray for me. Right? What ended up happening was there was just like this old couple in their early 40s. And they are all smiles and they're very gentle. They say, oh, hello, how are you? Where are you guys from? Uh-huh. That's great. Okay. All right. And, and, and I was like, man, they got nothing to say to me, man. <laughs> so anyway, we got into a circle. We prayed with this couple. One, the, the, the wife would pray with uh, my couple of my other brothers. And the, uh, the, no, no, I was in the group with the wife. And then the, the husband was in the other group. And we were just all praying together. And check it out. I look over to my... One of my brothers, who's also on staff, Johan, and a homeboy is crying. He's crying. <laughs> and he's like a very like macho, like athletic type of guy, you know. I'm like, man, that's so ugly, man. Stop crying. <laughs> and and, and this, this old 40s dude, he was just prophesying over Johan. He was just saying something that seemed very simple, but it really spoke to Johan's heart. He just started crying. And I'm like, all right, well, let's see what this woman's got, right? <laughs> and I'm praying with the woman, and the woman's going around prophesying over each of us. And he's like, can I, can I just say, I just feel like God's putting something on my heart for you. And we're like, yeah, go ahead, say it. So she gets to me, and she prophesies over me. And she prophesies things that she could not have known specifically about my life, unless it was the spirit of prophecy, unless it was the gift of prophecy. And then she ended up saying something. <coughs> And she said, every place, I feel like I'm getting a theme verse for you. It was the beginning of the year. I feel like I'm getting a theme verse for the new year for you. And God is saying, every place that you place your, the sole of your feet, God will give it to you. The promise that God gave to Joshua, it is for you. Hold on to that passage. Okay. Now, I'll tell you right now, that Bible verse in particular was so powerful for me. You know why? That was the beginning of deliverance ministry here at this church. And I was helping people get set free from demonic spirits every other week. Even when I was on my trip, I was helping students get set free from demons. 
All kinds of bondage, all kinds of secret sins. People are telling me all kinds of junk that they've been involved, all kinds of hurts that they have, have experienced, and then people manifesting when I'm praying for them. All kind, it was a scary time. I didn't know if everybody I, I helped would get, get it freed or not, you know? But that verse really just soothed my soul. Just gave me the confidence. Just keep doing what you're doing. Every person you pray for, you're going to help them. God's going to use you. And that ended up being a theme verse for the entire year. Spoken through a stranger who was sitting right behind us in the vineyard Anaheim service. Listen to donkeys, brothers and sisters. (coughs) Third kind of donkey. Non-believers. Oh, did not say that. Non-believers. Now, (coughs) naturally... The last place that we will look to for godly advice or counsel or heaven's revelation will be in non-believers, right? If non-believers ever talk about God or spiritual things, what do we hear from them? What do we tend to hear? Hee-haw! Hee-haw! That's what we hear, don't we? Right? When a non-believer says, you know, I know spiritual things. Let me tell you something about spiritual things. Let me tell you about God. And they start... Spitting out all these things that they think they know about God, you just hear, hee-haw, hee-haw. And you're just like, shut up, let me tell you about Jesus. Right? That's what you're thinking. That's what you're thinking, like. Right? Why? 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 Because spiritual things have to be spiritually discerned by the Spirit of God. And they and non-believers just do not have it. And in our eyes, non-believers are donkeys. But believe it or not, you got to listen to this donkey too. Doesn't happen all the time because, but sometimes God will speak even through non-believers. You know, in Exodus chapter 18, after Moses delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, God speaks through his pagan father-in-law, Jethro. Okay, uh, Moses had been trying to deal with all the individual inquiries and all the debates and, and all the um, conflicts and disputes that people had. Jethro, Jethro saw it. And he, and he said, man, you're going to kill yourself, Moses. You need to stop this. Look, let me tell you something right now. All right? You need to place leaders over thousands and hundreds and, and uh, fifties and tens. And then the Bible says that Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And it ended up blessing and helping Moses tremendously. Now, Moses did not say... You know, uh, hey, thanks for the advice, uh, but you know what? Because uh, you don't really know my God, uh, your advice is probably tainted with all kinds of pagan principles. And you know what? I'm just going to have to pass on it um, with all due respect, sir. Right? I, he didn't say that, right? <clears throat> with Jethro, there was a twofold problem. I mean, just point it out. First, he was a non-believer. And second, he was family. As much as we love our families, okay, all right, for some of us, our families is the last place we go to for advice, ain't it? Did my sister in here? Where my sister at? Hallelujah. Oh, she's right here. I love you, sister. I love you, sister. uh, You know what? Man, God has spoken powerfully through her in the past. But I'll tell you the truth. I don't don't call her up when I need uh, advice or something, you know? Because, you know, for some of us, our families are the last place we go. Because, you know, in our eyes, whether you like it or not, you think of your family as donkeys. You look at your uncle, donkey. You look at your cousin, man, donkey. Right? You start looking at your family and then, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Right? You think you know them inside out and you're just like, man, I got no respect for my family. Man, I wish I was part of that family, man. They got, like, lawyers and doctors, you know, and then you're just thinking, like, you know. And you start despising your own family members and they look like donkeys to you and you don't go to them for advice. But check this out. Moses took advice from not only a non-believer, but from a family member. And not only just a, he wasn't even a blood family member. He was a father-in-law. Hallelujah. And for the married people, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Well, hallelujah. I'm going to get some people in trouble in here. We got, we, all right, Hallelujah. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. Hallelujah. <laughs> He'll be giving some good advice. 
เราเช่นสักวันเยซูสตูดออนทรายลบีโฟร์พาเลตโอเคเดอะไฮพรีสท์ท่าเยอร์อันวิลลิงลีพรอเฟซายดแต่อิทวิลบีกู๊ดฟ
and influenced people. Written in like the 30s or 40s or something, way back. But excellent book. All the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, they've all read the book. Very One of the most important books. In fact, actually, recently there's a similar type of book written called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I started reading it, and I was like, wow, man, there's some, like, awesome... Some of this is, like, it seems like it's from the Bible. This is very, you know... And so I bought the book. <clears throat> I took it home. And then I realized that the author, Stephen Covey, is a Mormon. And I was ready to burn the book. <laughs> I was like, I am not reading a book from a Mormon! And then one day I went to the president of KCCC and we, we have these personal meetings together in his office. And I looked on his bookshelf and I noticed that he had the book on his bookshelf. And I said, Dr. Park, how could you? How, how is that book? You know, I didn't say that. I just said, how is that book? And he's like, oh, it's an excellent book. Many leaders and CEOs are reading it right now. It's a wonderful book. And he's written a sequel to it. It's like the eighth principle. You know? He like set it up. He, had, he actually had eight to begin with, but he wrote the first book and just gave you seven. And so once you like that, he, you make sure he re, you, read the, you rebuy the sequel. Anyway, and, and I said, well, did you know? Did you know? I just kind of try to surprise him. You know, like, did you know Dr. Park, he's a Mormon? And he's like, I know. I'm like, hey. And he's like, what, you, we can't learn anything from Mormons? You don't think there's, there's things that we can learn from, from people that maybe may not be Christians, but they got wonderful character. There's things that they're doing that are, that are really positive, wonderful habits. You don't think you can learn from them? And I said, well, 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 well I guess I should give it a chance. Then. <coughs> Let me tell you about another non-believer God's spoken to me through. Okay. Chris Rock. I'm, 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 I'm not kidding you. In college, I was obsessed with stand-up comedians. Okay? I went to my first uh, uh, comedy club when I was a freshman at NYU. And I loved it. I loved it. And all year, I just went to stand-up cl- uh, comedy clubs. And I, and I saw like, all, all the big-name uh, stand-up com- comedians uh, perform. And uh, some of them are like, not always good on every night. Like, some of them are just like, they have off nights. And I used to go to all these comedy clubs. <clears throat> and I especially loved black comedians. Like Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, Steve Harvey, Dave Chappelle. Right? Why? Because I could relate. I could relate with what they're saying because I lived in a black neighborhood. I experienced the things that they kind of are like joking about. So it's much more funnier to me. Unfortunately, the jokes were so raunchy, every time I would like listen to a performance, you know, I would have to repent and pray. I just feel like (laughs) I need to like cleanse myself. But during that time period, I kid you not, I sensed God telling me. He said, pay attention to these stand-up comedians. Okay. And I know, I know directly John Piper completely disagrees with me on this. Mark Driscoll is actually, he, he's more on the page with me on this. But, uh, but God actually, I just felt like God was saying, listen to what they're doing. Pay attention to what these public speakers are doing. Because it's going to come in handy later on. And at that time, I had no, I had no idea I would be calling into full-time ministry. I had no idea I would be preaching on the pulpit. Right? I, just, I was just enjoying some good comedy. But little did I know, after I graduated, I came on staff with KCCC. And I would preach once or twice a month. I remember the first time I preached at Columbia University, the students were so, they were, they were laughing out loud. They came up to me afterward, they were like, Christian, Christian God said, there's something so refreshing about you. you know, and they're like, where did you get that accent? You know, <laughs> did you grow up in Louisiana or something? I'm like, no. And they're like. <clears throat> but I realized that that kind of edge that allowed me to connect with young people. Right. These are skills I had learned, actually, from these non-believing stand-up comedians. Like without me knowing it, I was picking it all up. Yeah. But as this is each of us, 
needs to listen to the donkeys around us. Because God may be trying to tell us something through them. Just in general, donkeys are foolish and despised. Compared to horses, they're just weak animals. And the Bible tells us, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, what is despised in the world. God chose the donkeys, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, people thought he was a donkey because he had on clothes made from camel's hair and he was feasting on locusts. They called him John the Baptist. People looked at him and they said, I don't, you got nothing to say to me. I got nothing to learn from you. But God proved them wrong. And for those who were truly discerning, they came to him to be baptized in the Jordan River to make way for the coming of another person that was despised. Another who was seen by the world as a donkey. In fact, the Bible tells us he came into Jerusalem. And most kings, when they enter into Jerusalem, if you read the Old Testament, the way that King David would enter into Jerusalem was a big old parade. You ever see the Macy's, uh, Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade in New York City? All right, if you don't know, okay, anyway. That's how King David would enter Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. He would enter with a parade. It would be grand. People... He would be on, on a horse. I don't know what it was on, but it was, it was grand. But when this king entered Jerusalem, he was riding on a donkey. And this king was despised, spat on, rejected, and crucified on the cross. And this donkey died a despicable criminal's death. And when he rose from the dead, the gospel accounts tell us that he first appeared to the women. The women saw Jesus and they reported this to the rest of the disciples and guess what the disciples did they didn't pay attention to what the women said why because in their eyes the women were just donkeys in fact later on Jesus appears to the disciples and he rebukes them harshly. He rebukes them for not believing in the testimonies of others. Brothers and sisters, when God speaks, we need to listen. No matter what form or who it comes through. And don't be surprised if God speaks the most important messages in your life through what you might consider a donkey. Because the very gospel demands that we humble ourselves. When you look at the cross, it demands that you humble yourself and listen for the word of the Lord being delivered in packages that are despisable, despicable, spittable, rejectable. If that is the very message that saves us, then such the attitude of our hearts need to be humble always when we walk before the Lord because you'll never know which donkey he'll speak through. Bow your heads and let's pray right now. You know, I just want to invite you guys right now
and just pray and ask God, Lord, speak to me. You know, some of us, we complain that God doesn't speak to us enough. But if we will only humble ourselves and pay attention and listen to the donkeys, you might find that God is actually speaking to you a lot more frequently than you think. It's just you got to get the pride out the way. You got to get the you got to get the gospel. You got to get the cross at the center, and the cross will always tell you, "Do not despise the donkeys around you." You never know when God will speak through them. You never know that the very word that you're looking for is riding on top of a donkey. I want to invite everyone right now. The Bible says, "Without vision, the people perish. Without revelation, the people perish." We need. The word of the Lord in our lives, and I'm not just talking about the generic, written word of God, as it's just written on the pages of of the Bible. But I'm talking about the the words of God, whether it's from the Bible, whether it's a specific Rama word applying specifically to your situation. We need the word of the Lord to speak to us, and we need regular. We need God to regularly speak to us for us to go forward into the things of God. To go forward with the vision that God has given our lives, and if you feel like God hasn't been speaking to you, my exhortation would be: listen to the donkey. Listen to the donkey. Let's take this time. Why we all, all over this room? Let's just pray to the Lord. Let's call upon Him and ask Him to speak to us. Ask Him to speak to us, Lord. Speak to Your people, Lord. Come on, let's pray.